Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Round the corner, almost here, technology. And today I'm with uh, the CEO and founder of BitPay.com, Stephen Pear. Uh, Steve, how are you doing? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you great, Rich. Great. Thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah, can you tell uh, listeners uh, a little bit about BitPay, what it does, and what you help facilitate? Yeah, so BitPay is the uh, number one Bitcoin payments provider. And what we do uh, in a nutshell, we have a couple of different products, but um, our primary product is our payment acceptance product, and that allows a, a merchant or you know a, a business to collect a payment um, from a payer that is paying in Bitcoin. And if you're a merchant and you have an e-commerce website, you might come to our site, create an account, uh, configure it, and you can be accepting Bitcoin payments on your website in just a few minutes. Um, and then we'll settle to that merchant in their preferred currency. Um, or if you might, or perhaps you're a larger company and you uh, do billing and invoices for supply chain payment, uh, uh, for a supply chain payment, um, you know, you can generate that bill, send that to uh, to your customer or your, you know, whoever your uh, um, you know, whoever is uh, purchasing your products in, in the supply chain, you might send that bill out and they, they can pay that bill using Bitcoin. So we find a lot of B2B use cases there where you have supply chain needs and particularly um, cross-border international supply chain needs. All right, so let's um, let's back this up a little bit. So let's say I run a uh, coffee shop, you know, in California and I want to start accepting Bitcoin I can go to BitPay. You said I can set up an account pretty quick and start accepting Bitcoin. That's correct. Um, our sweet spot is mostly e-commerce sites, um, so uh, web businesses, web-based businesses that need to accept a payment. That's where the credit card fraud problem is most acute. Um, but we also have okay. integrations with a number of different point-of-sale systems. So that coffee shop uh, can use our app to, uh, you know, our point-of-sale app to accept payment using their Android or iPhone um, or iPad, um, or they, or we have integrations with a number of the top point-of-sale systems. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know you were integrated with POS systems, too. So, yeah. the, so depending on the POS system, inside they could, what, select, accept Bitcoin, and now the POS system itself could accept Bitcoin? That's correct. Uh, and different that's point really of sales cool. work differently, but um, but that's it in a nutshell. That's great. So yeah, if you can just briefly walk me mechanically through the steps. Uh, let's take an e-commerce site, and then let's take a um, a physical merchant again, like a coffee shop. So yeah, you know, start with the e-commerce. What does it look like literally to do a a, a transaction of Bitcoin from both sides? So on an e-commerce site, let's say it's Newegg.com, for example, which is one of our customers, you might uh, go there and then fill up your shopping cart and then uh, click the checkout button, and then it'll ask you for which form of payment. Uh, Bitcoin will be listed there. And then uh, after you select Bitcoin as the form of payment, you get presented with a 
a screen that shows you a, a, an amount and a Bitcoin address to send the payment to. Um, mm -hmm. It'll and you can click if, if your wallet uh, is on on the same device. You can click a link that will open your wallet and allow you to complete the payment. Uh, if you are on if your wallet's on a different device, like let's say you're sitting at a computer but your wallet's on your cell phone, um, you can scan a QR code that's on that screen and then complete the payment. Um, or you can go into your wallet and manually copy and paste the address and the amount and send it. Once you send it, you get a confirmation on that screen um, that the payment has been received, um, and then the merchant gets notified that um, we've received payment. Uh, and then we monitor that payment, make sure it gets accepted into the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, okay. Depending on the merchant's configuration, they might accept your payment immediately, and that might allow you, if it's a paywall or something like that, might allow you immediate access, um, or they may wait until the Bitcoin blockchain confirms your payment before they give you either access to whatever they're selling or, or they uh, send a shipment if they're shipping something. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, if it's a shipping physical product, that would be easy because, yeah, that should be a lot slower than the confirmation. But like you said, any, I guess any streaming or uh, digital downloads, they wait up to, what, 10 minutes? It, yeah, it, again, it just depends on the, the needs of the merchant. Some merchants, um, you know, the risk of taking and acting on a zero confirmation uh, transaction is uh, uh, it's minimal. Maybe they're uh, giving you access to a news article or something like that, and it's just a small... Small enough in value that it's just not a not a problem worth worrying about, and they'll go ahead and give you access uh, immediately without waiting on the blockchain payment. If it's a much bigger transaction, bigger value transaction, um, then obviously they they would probably elect to wait for confirmation on the Bitcoin network. What have you seen as the behavior? You know, what what feedback have you gotten from e-commerce merchants? Are most people honest, and they have, you know. No fraud, or is it uh, rampant? I mean, what's the real, what's the real deal? Uh, there's very little fraud um, in terms of like double spend attempts, and we 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 also perform a, a number of checks that we um, do on a on a transaction. Um, one feature of our service is that uh, if a if a merchant chooses, we can perform a number of checks and automatically downgrade a transaction if the certain things about the transaction that make it higher risk. Oh, well, uh, but generally so, speaking, you know, I don't, I don't want to give away your secret sauce, but are there any factors that you could disclose that would make a transaction higher risk or not? Yeah, there's, there's not really any uh, secret sauce there. It's pretty straightforward. We're looking at, you know, can, you know, the first question we ask is, is the transaction eligible to be included in the blockchain in the next transaction? Uh, we also look at things like, you know, what's the fee on the transaction? If, if it's zero fee or low fee, it's unlikely to be picked up and included by miners. Um, if, there, if, if this transaction in, includes inputs from other transactions that have not confirmed, that increases the risk. Um, you know, and periodically changes in the rules on the, uh, of uh, the, the um, propagation rules on the Bitcoin mesh network, uh, periodically changes to that open up new vectors by which people could exploit uh, and potentially create a double spend transaction. So it's kind of a we're continually modifying and tweaking and updating those those rules. Okay. 
any anything that causes a transaction to be rejected that wasn't intentional or or um, you know to take a long time. I mean, sometimes we see inadvertent double spins where somebody uh, creates a transaction, it doesn't get broadcasted for one reason or another, and then they uh, then they try it again or they restart their software or they they inadvertently create a, their own double spin. But most of the time, when we do see um, a transaction that ends up becoming invalid, it's, it's usually a software error, uh, usually on the wallet side, that, that tends to be the root cause of that. Um, but it happens very rarely. Yeah, why would a transaction have um, uh, low fees or no fees or high fees associated with it? Which kinds of transactions have which kinds of fees? Uh, you know, for a transaction to have no fees or arbitrarily, it, so low fees um, is usually because the wallet is not monitoring the current state of congestion on the Bitcoin network, and so they're they're putting a fee on there that's maybe a hard-coded fee that is not sufficient to get included in the blockchain in a reasonable amount of time. Um, mm. That's that's usually what we see with a low fee. It's most of the modern wallets nowadays they they do dynamic fee calculations. And um, and so they can see you know what's the going rate for a Bitcoin transaction and make sure they put a you know a, 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 an adequate fee on a, on the transaction. No fee usually it's the user either usually it's the user trying to thinking they can save some money by putting no fee on it. But what it what it ends up doing is um, meaning you do get put in the slow lane and we do wait for right. one confirmation and your transaction might <laughs> never get confirmed. So the uh, uh, so that's usually what we see with no fee. Um, the only other cases would be where people are deliberately trying to do a double spin and putting, you know, fees that don't meet certain thresholds or no fees or, or they're doing something deliberate. Right. Okay. Do, you, do your merchants ask people which wallet they're using and tell them not to use certain ones or that they're not supported? Um, we give advice to our merchants and to customers on what wallets we've tested well and we, we believe do the right things. Um, and that's that list changes periodically depending on how well maintained the wallet is. Um, and obviously we have our own wallets. You know, if you go to bit, bitpay.com slash wallet, we have our own wallet that we put out. It's, uh, it's all open source, but it, it, we do um, make sure that our wallet works well with our service uh, all the time. Any uh, wallet recommendations you can make as of just as of this moment? Well, outside of uh, our own wallet, which we we, um, we think is the best best designed wallet yeah. out there, um, certainly you've got other good ones like Blockchain.info, um, Bread Wallet, Airbits, uh, Mycelium. Um, all you know, all the wallets have their own um, advantages, their own specialties, if if you will. Um, right. So depending on what your needs are. Uh, the answer could be different. And uh, all right, so when a um, an e-commerce merchant receives a Bitcoin payment for you know a service, a product, whatever it is, do they immediately want to convert it to fiat, or do they leave it in Bitcoin? You know, what what are their options, and what do they tend to do? Yeah, most of our businesses do want to convert it to some fiat. Um, there's a lot of different reasons for that. Uh, a lot of our businesses are larger businesses that, you know, for them to accept Bitcoin, it, it, their accountants would need to figure out way, how to account for that on their, their books. And um, 
you know, then they, they also have to learn about securing Bitcoin and how do you, how do you actually store them, where do you store them. Um, and that would usually involve, involve them learning about multi-signature technology, which of course we have in our wallet, but, um, you know, it's just, it, it's a big hurdle to ask of them to, uh, you know, to, to accept Bitcoin. So most of them are getting settled in some currency other than Bitcoin. Um, but we do have a, a fair number that do get settled in Bitcoin. Um, and then some, a lot that uh, have a mix. So our service allows you to say, you want 90% settlement in dollars and 10% in Bitcoin. Um, you can do that easily. Well, that's cool. Mm-hmm. What about, I mean, can they select a transaction threshold value? You know, if it's over in a certain amount, convert it to fiat. If it's under, don't. Any other levers or parameters they can choose? Uh, no, not at this time, but that's a good idea. Um, we do have, uh, you know, we do have a few settings like that, such as um, some merchants like to maintain a, a balance there to cover refunds that they have to process so that they don't want to get settled out 100% every day. Um, but, um, but yeah, we, we just have a pretty simple control, which is what percentage do you want to get settled in um, Bitcoin versus uh, a fiat currency. Okay, very good. And then uh, traditional credit cards, you know, me being an outsider, they appear to be 3 to 5% in fees. What the ballpark is the fee that a merchant would see once they start accepting Bitcoin? You know, what are they experiencing besides the currency fluctuation? It's typically 1% if you're not a high risk, you're not in a high risk industry or, um, uh, or you know, or if you, you're not driving like substantial volumes where you'd want to negotiate a rate, but one percent for for a typical business, you're you're looking at about one percent. And I guess you guys are similar to uh, credit card companies. You see this as a um, allowing the merchant to take Bitcoin. You see it as a loan because there could be risk of um, you giving <clears throat> the money to the merchant and the merchant having mass default, right? Uh, no, it's not a credit card, I and mean, we don't do any credit or l- lending at all. Um, we're accepting a payment from the shopper, and then that creates a liability that we settle the next day to the merchant um, by their, you know, in their preferred asset. There's no yeah traditional lending. traditional money. There could be that problem, but with Bitcoin, I mean, again, if, if let's say a whole bunch of people want refunds, you know, the merchant did <clears throat> defraud people or. They had a bad product, and a lot of people want refunds. Yeah. If it was originally transacted in Bitcoin, they can't force that. There's no chargebacks for Bitcoin. If right. it was fiat, they um, could. Correct. Uh, and that's, you know, you're, you're talking about an area of buyer protection. So we go um, to pretty good lengths to um, describe Bitcoin and a Bitcoin payment as a cash-like transaction. So if you go into a, you know, a store and you pay cash uh, for something in that store, you know, we, we, we draw that analogy with Bitcoin. So unless that merchant agrees to give you a refund, you won't get a refund. Um, so we, we do try to, even, even describing the software tool as a wallet instead of an account, um, you know, is meant to imply that it, it is a wallet. It is a cash-like instrument. So we, um, you know, at BitPay, through our onboarding and KYC processes, we do um, um, 
you know, background, uh, che not background checks, but we make sure we know who the merchants are so that if there is a case of merchant fraud, we at least know who they are. Um, and, that, and that mitigates some of the risk of, uh, of fraud, but not, doesn't completely eliminate it. Um, we, right. also, okay. we also try not to be in the middle of the transaction in terms of making decisions about um, whether, um, you know, if there's a dispute between the buyer and the merchant, we try not to be involved in that dispute or adjudicating that dispute, um, which is very different than, say, you know, the credit card companies. Um, we're not experts right. in every kind of transaction that goes on. So um, we do, uh, we are working on technology that will uh, allow a buyer and a merchant to um, identify a third party, um, you know, a, thir a third party that will um, help in the settlement of a dispute if one arises. But BitPay does not want to be that third party. We would prefer to allow other companies to, you know, maybe a company specializes in auto transactions and they, they can look at the evidence if there's a dispute, they can look at the evidence relating to that sale of the auto and determine whether or not, uh, make a decision whether or not a, uh, a refund should be awarded or not. Okay. And you said um, this is more for e-commerce versus, um, you know, physical merchants, but where do you see the desire and the um, the new applications and the new merchants coming online? Is it mostly e-commerce, or is that just because you you focus on that? Yes, it's uh, e-commerce, and it's also not just merchants. It's um, businesses needing to do you know supply chain, as I mentioned earlier. So B two B transactions, companies that need to do business to business transactions, and and actually um, that's probably the fastest growing area that we have. Um, we see really? a lot of yeah, definitely businesses will adopt new technology faster than, you know, consumers, uh, you know, to, to reach consumers, something has to be really, um, the user experience has to be really fine-tuned. Um, you just can't have any, um, you know, rough edges if you're going to reach that sort of mass consumer audience. So businesses typically are much earlier adopters. If they can, if they realize they can save a substantial amount of money, they will they will go through the effort and the learning curve to to adopt a new technology. And so what we're seeing is a lot of, especially international supply chain type applications, are seeing a lot of B two B adoption and usage, uh, which is very exciting. And these companies, they don't care about. I mean, they're not. They're not motivated by, you know, Bitcoin being cool technology or an interesting, you know, thing like a lot of computer scientists might be. They're motivated by, you know, solving problems that they have, and, and that's very exciting when you look, you know, forward and, and, and uh, uh, think about the potential adoption of Bitcoin going forward. Well, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. I just had one more question about, um, you know, regular merchants. What kinds of industries are you seeing are adopting Bitcoin faster than others? And, um, yeah, we'll start with that. Uh, we're seeing it used a lot in, in marketplaces. So these are, you know, think about an iTunes-like application where there's a, you have a balance in iTunes and you use your iTunes um, balance to purchase movies or uh, songs or, or whatever. Um, a good example of this is Microsoft. Microsoft is one of our customers, and if you want to, uh, top up value to your Microsoft Xbox account. Um, you can do that with Bitcoin and then use that balance that's on your Xbox account to then make purchases. 
Um, and then some of those marketplaces want to go in the other direction and allow people to withdraw value out of the uh, off of the platform uh, in Bitcoin. And we also provide that service as well. Um, so I'd say marketplaces where you need to get uh, handle uh, deposits and withdrawals um, into, into and out of those marketplaces is a, is a big and growing uh, area for us. Um, uh, straight up merchants, uh, we have tons of different kinds of IT services, you know, hosting providers, VPN providers, and that sort. Um, that tends to fit well with the demographic of people that use Bitcoin. Um, you know, some DDoS mitigators and just IT infrastructure type companies. Uh, right. There are plenty, and, and that actually is kind of a B2B transaction as well, because what you see is are businesses in emerging markets that need to buy hosting from a hosting provider that's in a different country. Um, they can they can uh, use Bitcoin to make that transaction simpler, easier, and uh, cheaper. So, who do you think will be the last adopters of uh, you know, merchant-wise of accepting Bitcoin payments? Merchant-wise, um, yep. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, we we have a lot of you know some unexpected uh, type companies using it like uh, you know real estate agents not agents but real uh, real estate companies real estate developers um, we have a few uh, auto dealerships um, so those are pretty I mean those are industries that you would never you would think might not uh, might be the last ones to adopt it but yet you know here they are um, okay you know it might be your average um, you know just big box type Retailer, maybe a Walmart or somebody like that, um, might be. It might be a few years yet before they adopt the technology. Yeah, and that's you know I ask everyone this. I mean, no one knows, I know, but in your opinion, when do you think um, it's going to be wise? You know, when's the tipping point coming, or is it coming, where it's going to be widespread? You know, businesses all over the place will start accepting Bitcoin. Well, I think it's going to be. It, Soon, within I would say within three years, and I think it's it, it, it's going to be in a manner that's maybe not expected. Um, so it's not going to be it's not going to be that everybody's running around paying for everything in Bitcoin denominated transactions. They may be paying for it still in U.S. dollar denominated transactions or Euro denominated transactions, and they may think of it as a Bitcoin or a Euro transaction. Um, but the underlying technology is employing the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, the settlement on the back end is employing the Bitcoin blockchain, and uh, you know the average person might uh, might their exposure might be that they want to they want to invest a little bit in Bitcoin and keep some of their savings in Bitcoin, and so rather than doing every transaction every payment transaction in Bitcoin denominated terms, they're doing it in dollar or euro terms, but yet they have some savings in in Bitcoin terms. Mm-hmm. Do you um, offer the opposite service to merchants? Do you offer them, you know, one uh, full service, um, you know, essentially like credit card acceptance, where they can accept in fiat, and you'll convert it to Bitcoin for them? No, um, we do Bitcoin okay. acceptance, and we don't we don't sell bitcoins directly to a retail customer, um, or even a you know average you know, type merchant that might want to convert in Bitcoin, uh, into Bitcoin. Um, we obviously will settle in Bitcoin, their, their payment processing activity. But, um, and the reason for that is really fraud. The, the existing payment methods, credit cards, ACH, SEPA, uh, bank transfers, wire transfers, they're all really 
vulnerable to fraud. And if you uh, just allow anyone to make a wire transaction or a credit card transaction and you send them Bitcoin and, uh, you know, for that transaction, you're putting yourself in a, in a pretty risky position. But it's easy to go the opposite direction. It's easy to convert Bitcoin into dollars or euros or anything else you might want. Um, um, and we also have our debit card um, that goes along with our wallet for people that want that easy convertibility. So if you get the BitPay card, it's a BitPay Visa card, uh, you connect that up to your wallet, um, and with a couple taps, you can convert Bitcoin into a dollar balance on that Visa card, and you can, of course, spend it anywhere Visa is accepted. Well, that's great. Oh. So you'll do the conversion. The merchant gets paid in dollars or fiat, and they don't know the difference. That's correct. Um, yeah, it, it, it works beautifully. I, I use it all the time. Okay, that's great. Yeah. Any any other um, insights on how you think uh, Bitcoin will be widely will become widely adopted? I kind of took you in a different direction, but I want to take you back there for a minute. Yeah, um, I think in 2017 we're going to see some applications, some new applications of the Bitcoin blockchain that people haven't maybe thought about. There are the, some people have thought about, but a lot of people probably haven't thought about. Um, and they're going to be unexpected. Like it, it's going to really showcase how the, you can see how the Bitcoin blockchain will become embedded into the fabric of the internet to such a degree that really the internet in a few years won't function without the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, and that to me is really exciting. Um, and that that actually might be the the way most people get exposed to to, to Bitcoin initially. Okay. Let's let's talk about the uh, B2B transactions. You said one motivation is for companies to save money, I guess, uh, you know, versus wire fees or, you know, other types of transactional fees. Any other motivations companies have to use, um, you know, Bitcoin transactions, B2B? Yeah, the, uh, in some cases, it's not just about saving time and money. It's also about just being able to conduct business. So you might... An interesting thing that we're finding is that some of these emerging markets where you, you might expect the banking system or the central bank to be um, kind of hostile to Bitcoin and view it as a competitor, what we found is actually they have no problem with Bitcoin, um, and, and it might be a competitor to their local currency, but um, but guess what? They There are 200 plus, not 200 plus, there are about 200 countries on the planet and lots of different currencies, and they're all competitors. So... Bitcoin being a competitor is no different than any of the rest of them. Um, but what it also means is you can have a transaction through a platform like BitPay and um, have that transaction uh, fully tracked and businesses pay their taxes on it and all of that kind of stuff, and, and, it, and it actually works. It's efficient. Um, they do collect their taxes, and uh, uh, and, and, it, and, it, and it solves a lot of the problems where you might have a you know pretty dysfunctional banking system and um, and companies have a very difficult time actually doing those b2b transactions um, and Bitcoin can step in and solve a lot of those problems now I will say I, I've started to describe Bitcoin recently as one way to view the Bitcoin blockchain is as a, a mechanism to crowdsource capital movement so if you can imagine a, a business that needs to move, let's say, a million dollars a day from 
let's say, Brazil to Germany. If that business needs to move a million dollars a day on the Bitcoin blockchain from Brazil to Germany, what's going to happen is the price of Bitcoin will rise in Brazil as there's demand for those Bitcoins to be bought in Brazil. Uh, and then in Germany, the price of Bitcoin will fall. And so that creates uh, an incentive, um, that difference in the price between those two countries creates an incentive for capital to move between those two countries. And so imagine you're a business person and you regularly travel between Brazil and Germany uh, for whatever reason. Um, you, could, you could take your Bitcoin that you have and trade it for an ounce of gold in Brazil, get on an airplane, fly to Germany, and convert that ounce of gold back into Bitcoin in Germany where it's cheaper. And you could do that repeatedly. And so and imagine many people doing that, not just with that one example, but many people doing finding whatever means they have to, to move that capital. Um, you know, and in that situation where that business is having to move a million dollars a day from Brazil to Germany, what you're going to find is that the, uh, you might push up the price in, in, uh, in Brazil of Bitcoin to a point where um, it no longer becomes cost effective. So now they're, they're, they're kind of, uh, it, it's becoming more expensive to do the Bitcoin transaction than other traditional means that they have access to. Um, but over time, those volumes will build because that incentive is there and people will find ways of uh, capitalizing on that, um, that, that price arbitrage between, between those two countries. So I, I look at that whole situation as being a sort of crowdsourcing of capital movement. Um, and I think that's a, that, I kind of like that, that view of Bitcoin's function in terms of capital movement. Well, I was about to ask you why, if, if Bitcoin is decentralized, why would it have different prices in different local markets? But then I uh, thought, it, wait a minute, yeah. if we have a, a million dollars in Brazil currency disappearing or being converted into Bitcoin and then appearing in Germany, I think that would be the reason, right? The fiat part of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, in a lot of these countries, they have very rudimentary or dysfunctional and in some cases non-existent banking systems. People don't realize that a wire transfer, most wire transfers are actually processed by some human being. It's actually printing out on a teletext somewhere. Uh, they're reading it in their, and, and it goes through all of these hops in the banking system where these banks you know, trust one another, have a, a pre-established relationship with one another. But every one of those hops adds uh, you know, substantial costs and sub substantial risks to the payment. Um, and Bitcoin's just a better way to do that. Yeah, as we were talking, I looked, um, Bitcoin, for instance, in Pakistan is about 8% uh, higher. Yeah. That's really strange. I would have thought, I would have think that it's uh, the same price everywhere, but... Hmm. Well, what it, would... it, it depends. I mean, if it's 8% higher in Pakistan, that, that probably points to some issue that people have in moving money out of Pakistan elsewhere. Um, yeah. And if it's 8% cheaper somewhere, that probably means that, um, you know, there's a, a demand for capital to move into that country. And huh. there, I mean, there are a lot of different reasons for that. Well, all right, that's a whole subject in itself, but uh, very interesting. I didn't even know that. Crazy. I mean, there, you, you um, could conceive of a day where uh, Bitcoin grows up enough that you're really looking at the relative prices of Bitcoin in different countries or the relative value of Bitcoin in different countries to determine where there's a market demand for capital to move. Mm, true, yeah. 
Okay. Well, getting back to um, the bid pay specifically, what, can you say how many uh, merchants or companies are, are using bid pay now, you know, approximately? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've got close to 200,000 accounts on our system. Of those, yeah, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but it's on the order of about a couple thousand, 2,000 on a monthly basis that are you know, processing invoices that are you know, active, what I would consider active merchants. Um, so, you know, we've got a lot of a lot of people create accounts for a lot of reasons, trying out the system, testing out the system, but then they don't actually go through and generate invoices. But, um, but in terms of monthly active merchants, it's a couple thousand. Any, you know, because you can see all these accounts and their behavior. Any insights you've garnered that other people wouldn't have about how people or merchants or companies use Bitcoin that surprised you? Um, it surprised me that people might not otherwise be aware of. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, nothing nothing immediately comes to mind um, that, that would be particularly surprising. Um, well, I, you know, when we 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 have processed uh, you know transactions for the sale of houses. <laughs> That might be surprising oh, really? to people. Um, you know, we we've sold a number of houses, um, and we recently sold one for over three million dollars. So it was a pretty big house. <laughs> uh, huh. But uh, uh, that's pretty exciting. Uh, we also have sold our ha handful of cars for those auto dealerships I mentioned. That's pretty neat. Mm -hmm. Is there a uh, transaction uh, size oh, uh, limit? Here's one surprise. Um, we have actually sold uh, seats uh, on Virgin Galactic for people to go into space. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. That's cool. I was about to ask you, is there any uh, transaction size limit that causes a problem because it's too big um, for the big yeah. network? You know, it's, it's funny. Over the years, over the course of the last five years that, that we've been doing this, or five and a half, um, you know, initially you would never think of doing like a, a hundred thousand dollar or a million dollar transaction on Bitcoin because what would happen is, you know, first somebody has to source that amount of Bitcoin and then, uh, you know, that might have the effect of pushing the price up and then they would do the transaction and then, and then if the merchant is getting settled out in U.S. dollars, then we might go sell those Bitcoin um, and then have the effect of crashing the price if we don't do that trading correctly. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when you get up into hundred thousand dollar and a million dollar transactions, those would would do that back in those days. So we back then we would never think of doing that. Today, that number is more like ten to twenty million dollars. So if if you get up above say a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars, then typically what we ask of our merchants is you know um, give us a heads up about those transactions, and we'll we'll work with them to coordinate them, make sure that what that everything goes smoothly and that we're prepared to handle that volume. Okay. Makes sense. Um, so what do you see in, as the near future and then um, maybe the next two years for BitPay? Where are you guys going and what's your, your goal for expansion? Yeah. So we're a payments company. So we have our wallet and we have all of our business services that we provide and, and we're focused really on innovating the payment experience. And we, our goal is to 
build the best payment experience. And that, that's a statement that goes well beyond Bitcoin. And, and in so doing, solving a lot of infrastructure-type problems that a lot of companies have, um, particularly around security, authentication. Um, at, you know, in BitPay's back office, we're, we're more and more using our own wallet platform to do uh, sort of workflow management, back office workflow management. So I, I could see BitPay spinning out some products that are um, derived from solving some of our own needs. Uh, we're even contemplating using our platforms for uh, corporate governance. So when the board of directors needs to um, record a vote on something, it would be done using our tools. Oh, wow. Okay. So you'd anchor into the blockchain so it's memorialized a given decision, for instance? Well, we're not doing that yet. So, <laughs> so the answer is no, because we're not doing it yet. But that's... That's our ambition is ultimately to yeah do that um, to, okay. um, to use the Bitcoin blockchain as a as a um, uh, a, a proof of uh, um, you know as a mathematical proof that something happened in the past. Right. Any other cryptocurrencies that um, you may work in, or you're sticking to Bitcoin? Um, we've looked at all of the interesting ones, um, or all the ones that might be interesting. Uh, right at the moment, there's nothing really that is interesting enough to us that we would um, spend any time on it. Um, I think, you know, Bitcoin is a purpose-built blockchain um, for doing value transfer, um, and there might be some other applications of it relating to authentication and timestamping and things of that nature that are going to be interesting. Um, and when you think about like smart contracts, the value transfer part of a smart contract should be using the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, but that's not to say there aren't other blockchains, uh, potential blockchains that will do something interesting that could be also used as part of a smart contract. Um, the Bitcoin blockchain is, is purpose-built for value transfer and it needs to be an open permissionless system because while you and I might exchange Bitcoin, um, and you, are, you and I are the only ones that care about the exchange of those Bitcoin, the rest of the world does need to know that we're not inflating the money supply, that we're not, um, that all of, that our transactions follow the rules of, of Bitcoin. Um, so for that reason, big, um, value transfer needs to be an open permissionless system. But there are other, other types of activity that I can imagine needing an open per permissionless blockchain. Um, one that comes to mind is proof of publication. You might need to, um, as a part of a smart contract, you might need to um, not just sign an instruction or sign some kind of um, record of some activity on that contract. You might need to publish it somewhere provably and, and make it public so that anybody looking at the history of what happened with that smart contract would go and... Uh, you know, I would be able to prove that, yes, I signed an instruction executing an option contract with you, uh, and I put that somewhere publicly so that I not only signed it, I made it available to you so that you later could not come back and say, well, you may have signed it in the past, but you never gave it to me, right? right. So that's another type of blockchain that I can imagine being used for, uh, that needs to be open and permissionless and, and that would be uh, a very important blockchain or very important capability that you would want to have available to a smart contract. 
Okay. Well, very good. Um, last question is, you know, probably obvious, but how can merchants, businesses, uh, you know, people start using BitPay? What's the best way for them to learn about it and, and open up a wallet and account? Yeah, so go to bitpay.com um, and uh, click the big green button there. I forget what it says, but uh, <laughs> click the big green button, and then uh, we've got a path there if you're an individual looking to uh, get a wallet or get our debit card, um, or if you're a business looking to accept payments or um, do billing um, or payouts. Hmm. Oh, one, one quick question that came to mind. If I have a BitPay wallet and I transact with any of your merchants, do I get any um, extra benefit, any discount, uh, anything like that? No, uh, we don't do any special preference uh, uh, for our own wallet in, in that regard. Um, you're just you're going to pay the Bitcoin network fee, the transaction mm -hmm. fee on the Bitcoin network, um, just like any other wallet. Okay. Well, very good. I've been speaking to Stephen Pear, uh, CEO and founder of BitPay.com. Steve, I appreciate your time. It's been a good interview. All right. Thank you, Rich. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. 